0: Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Some of you are guests with us this morning. We're glad you're here. My name's Steve White, senior minister here, and we are grateful to be together in the name of the Lord to worship. We're studying the book of Exodus, and today we're in chapter 19. So go to your devices, and uh, we'll be in 19, a few verses out of chapter 20, a few verses out of chapter 24 as well. Uh, You know, these advancements into the technological area, um, of our lives today has increased problems in other areas as well. Uh, for instance, theft, uh, identity theft. It's a real issue we hear, uh, we hear about it very often on the news. We read about it. We've learned about it. There's something very ominous about that hanging over, that somebody can actually access your personal information, steal your identity for financial gain. It's sad when that so many are affected by that. I fear it's also true when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. There's a kind of identity theft that has happened to the point that the lines between those in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world have too often become very blurred. We forget who we are in Christ. We forget this new identity that God has given us and who we are because of what God has accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why chapter 19 is so very critically important. Because without it, we jump into chapter 20. Luke will address that next week, which is the Ten Commandments and begins the rest of the giving of the law. And if we approach law without understanding identity then we will be guilty of abusing the law, I believe, in most cases. So uh, our text today takes us three months from the time that God's people leave slavery and now arrive at the mountain of God called Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. They have witnessed the wonders of God. There should be no question by now that they are intensely loved by God. So here is our text, chapter Chapter 19, verse 2. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded them to speak. him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Chapter 24, verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, (laughs) we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders Of the Israelites, they saw God and they ate and drank. Exodus 19 is so important because it tells us who we are. We live in a world that has all kinds of labels for us, they have all kinds of identities that they want us to own. And we work hard sometimes to be identified in certain ways that the world says is important. But all those identities are fragile, they are short lived. They are shallow, and they end, us, end up leaving us in a spirit of despair. The identity we have with God changes everything, and it keeps us from abusing the law. Now, some of you have told me you grew up in legalistic churches, very rules-based. You didn't hear much about grace. You didn't hear much about the love of God, but you heard a lot of thou shalts and thou shalt nots, and it took you a long time to work through all that, and praise God you did. The danger, however, is when you come out of that, or for any of us, is to swing the pendulum so far because we're saved by grace, that law is really not important. That that if we fail, yeah, we're going to fail, but Jesus died for my sins, so I'm safe anyway. Well, that is a dangerous way to live. There has to be a healthy weaving of both the love of God, the grace of God, and the law of God. It's The best way to to think about it is in your family life. In the context of family, there is great love. There is unconditional love shared together. We love our family like none other outside of God himself. But also in that context, there are certain expectations of family members. There's a way we do life together. There's a way we honor each other by doing what pleases each other. And so there are, there are certain rules of the family, for a lack of better way to put it. And there's also this intense love of the family. It's the same way in the family of God, in the family of faith. There is the grace of God, the intense love of God, but there's also seriousness about the law of God. God never intended for us to enjoy his love without embracing his law. So again, this is what he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. These Hebrew people, the Israelites, they didn't fight their way out of Egypt. They didn't strategize their way out. They didn't manipulate their way out. They were carried out by God himself. And the reason you and I are here together is not because we have obeyed God so well. Not because there was anything in us that would make him and, and move him or anyway, He simply has carried us to this place in our lives. This is what grace is all about. Now, out of that, what's it mean? What is our identity? Because he has carried us out of our slavery to sin as on eagle's wings, just as the Hebrew people were. What is our identity? Five pieces to it. Three of them are in this one verse In chapter 19, the other two we find elsewhere. First of all, we are God's treasured possession. He says again, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Now, that sounds confusing, doesn't it? Because I just said we are carried by God. That's what the Bible says. We are saved by grace, not by works, so nobody can boast. But here he says... If you obey me, then you'll be my treasured possession. Well, which is it? Do we earn the right to be a treasured possession? Or we are a treasured possession, and then, and then we keep the covenant. What does all this mean? Well, you know, the best way I can explain it is in a husband-wife relationship. So I'm st- I started to D- date Diana, right? And so when I did, you know, I asked for three references, and I interviewed her friends, and I, gave her a res- I told her, send me a resume, and I would think, about- well, of course not. But I did my research, right? My research had to do with getting to know her and her heart, what she's like, how she thinks, how she operates, what's important to her. She did the same for me. She began investigating me. She did her research as well. On our 25th wedding anniversary, she gave me this ring. She had a design by Dave Garrett in Springfield, Ohio. It's the Alpha and Omega, a name for Jesus in the scripture. She knew I would value that. And I do highly. Because I treasure her, she wanted to do something that would bring me delight. And because Uh, Because she treasures me, I want to find out things that please her and delight her. That's how a love relationship works, right? That's what we do. And that's the best way I can explain this statement in the scripture here. We have been so treasured by God. We have been carried on eagle's wings. Now, because of that, we want to find out, God, what pleases you? And so the more we obey him the more we are understanding how treasured we are. See, that's what, it's a statement. My obedience, our growing obedience and submission to him shows that I understand how treasured I am by you. That's how the church, that's our identity. We are God's treasured possession. Second, we are a holy nation. It says in chapter 19 there. And when God, when God is saying this, he's saying basically, I am making you a new community. I've been stunned probably as you have at these pictures on the news of this human traffic jam on Mount Everest. How many crazy people are there in the world, really? You know, I am, I am so impressed by these people who make this arduous journey up to that great peak. And so many up there that they fear losing their lives because there's so many up there that want want to arrive at that position. Oh, that there would be a traffic jam at the mountain of God, wouldn't you say? Now, we've learned in history, in our growing up years, that Mesopotamia uh, was the center, was the cradle of civilization. Remember learning that? Archaeologists and anthropologists tell us that ancient cities were built, were, were constructed, or, or, or came together around mountains or hills. Uh, or if there wasn't that, or if there was a slight hill, they would build a ziggurat. Uh, the, the Tower of Babel in Genesis is basically a ziggurat. Why did they build the Tower of Babel? Remember, they wanted to get to God. They wanted to reach the heavens, and God... God said, "Have none of that," and he 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 tore down that. He confused all their languages, and they spread out from that. And so the cities were built around these these mountains, so that they could go to the high places and put their altars there, make sacrifices to whatever God that they could that they could design was of their own making, and somehow get the blessing of their God or gods, whoever they worship. The psalmist would write later, "I lift up my eyes to the." The hills, where does my help come from? He de- he wasn't meaning when I look at the mountains, boy, I'm in a spiritual paradise. Uh, we can sometimes use it that. That's not what the psalmist means. He means I looked at the hills, the mountains, where all these high places are, where all these altars are. My help doesn't come from them. My help comes from the Lord. That's what that psalm is all about. So these cities were built around it, people to make their offering. But the wonderful thing about this, God here has called his people to this mountain. This isn't about them trying to get to God. This is God coming down to be with his people. And what he is saying here is, I want you as my nation to be a radically different kind of community. I want you to live your lives together as an alternate society. And the centerpiece is God himself who comes down. To be, um, to be close or near his people. Just like the scripture says that Jesus is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be near us. He came and was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, but is without sin. He comes to identify with us to all those who don't have a place to belong. And that's all of us. We're all disenfranchised. We are, we are marginalized because of our sin from God. Some of you live in subdivisions. Well, you have homeowners associations, right? And uh, those come with rules. They vary from, from HOA to HOA, right? No fences. Don't park on the street. Park your car in the garage. Don't build a shed. All kind. Why in the world would you agree to that? Well, because you trust it's going to maintain the quality of the neighborhood, and that it's it's going to the property values are going to stay stay are more likely to stay level and to continue increasing. There's, there, there are boundaries. There are, there are barriers. There are, there are restrictions only for the benefit of the homeowner. God himself is the ultimate HOA president. He comes down. He comes and develops his own people. And then he says, based on what I want you to be, because I want you to be this alt- alternate society that's far different from anybody else, Far different from every other nation. I want, I want you to, these are the rules that I have for you. He has the right to give those laws, but they're also for our benefit. We have to understand that, else, that the Ten Commandments and all this to come will absolutely destroy us through. So, for instance, God's law, three big things we have to deal with in life is money, sex, and power, right? So God deals with all of that in his commandments. For instance, in the area of sex, this is the first nation that will address uh, the, the, the adultery as a, a condemning of a man as well as a woman. All the other nations, the woman was the guilty one. But in God's nation, both parties were guilty. Uh, when it comes to um, money, Israel was to be a generous nation like none other. Off the top, they were to give 10% of their income. In addition to that, there were all other kinds of offerings given. And when it, was, when it spread out over the years, every year, on an average, a Jew gave 23.3% of their annual income. Now go home and pray about that one for a while, would you? And the area of, of power. I mean, our God is so different and the nation was to be different. This God came down to us and he wanted this nation to care about the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and the alien and the immigrant. He wanted them to have a different heart and he built in this welfare system that they would be taken care of. That was unlike any other nation in existence. And Jesus has come down among us and he calls us to be the same unique kind of people. That is terribly different from the people and the kingdom of this world. And yet, how often do we see that people who live who are not a part, who are not followers, who are not disciples of Jesus Christ, outserve us? They outgive us in generosity. They, 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 out, they outmoral us sometimes. And we are ashamed because of it, I trust. But that's where we're called to be. The church, a different kind of community, a radical community. The world will all be able to look in here and say, what is with that group? We've never seen anything like this before. Let's wrestle with it. We're also a kingdom of priests. Uh, And so uh, these priests, the priestly line, God is still to establish. But priests basically had two duties. One was to lead in worship. And the other one was to take care of physical needs. That's what we did. I mean, we could, we could talk about it more. But basically, those are the two things. And so when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches, one of the great teachings of the New Testament is the priesthood of all believers. That, that when, we, when Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, he became the once and for all high priest. And we are all made priests in him. So we have Priestess Pat right here on row three. She's always on row three. Uh, Priestess Pat and, and Priest Ron right here. You see yourself that way? Which means that in a watching world, we give the world an idea of what it means to be a God worshiper. And a follower, a tense follower of Jesus Christ. Because, because to worship God is a relationship. It's not coming to church for an hour. It's not just making sure you have devotions. It is that, but it's more than that. Worship is a relationship with the living God. And we're to demonstrate before the watching world that that's who we are, that we have a unique relationship with our creator, and then we serve the helpless, just as Israel was to do. And who are the helpless among us? Well, certainly the poor and the alien, the immigrant, all that sort of thing. But the helpless are also the ones who are distant from a relationship with the Father, and need to be brought near Him. And so, we're to be light toward the communities where we live, to the workplaces where we go to work, where we go to school, where we go to college. We are light in those places. We are the way, as priests, where God God wants to help people become worshipers of Him as well. That's the job of priests. And one of the ways we do that. Is we care about those people and we serve people and we love the people who are far from him and we serve them well, we love them we, we care for them, we care for their needs we address their needs, we open our lives see that's where this is where our vision is rooted in it's about being who we're supposed to be Jesus said in Matthew 5 you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden let your light shine before others they can see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven now when we read that because we're in the western world we're a very individualistic society we think I need you to do nice stuff this week but when Jesus said that, it was you plural. You. You are the light. You as a community are to be a light to the place where you're planted. You as a community. Come together and be a different kind of light. Be like a, our, our, our whole congregation united ought to care more deeply about being light when we leave this place. Because we've been together and what we have in the Lord. You're the light of the world. Fourth, we are a consecrated people. Now, before God says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, he says, have no other gods before me. And then he goes on and he says, make no graven images. Don't make idols. My fundamental problem in every struggle I deal with, every sin I commit, every behavior I have a hard time dealing with, is that God is not number one. That's my fundamental problem, and it's your fundamental problem. If you are stingy, it's not a money problem. It's a God problem. If you say, I just can't forgive that guy, that girl, that's not a forgiveness problem. It's a God problem. If you have a a problem with pride, if you have a problem with anger, you know, I just, that's the way I am. No, that's not just the way you are. You have a God problem. There's something taking the place of only one who is, has, the, has the right to be in number one position. So this is what God cares about. He says, I'm not first to you. 19.10 says, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow have them wash their clothes. That's what happens When we are baptized into Christ, we consecrate ourselves. And we give ourselves to this alternate society to serve God well. Now, in order to do this, friends, we have to have time to think. We have to have think time. We have to have evaluation time. We have to to create margin in our lives to think individually and think communally. Even about what our church does. What are we involved in? Are we involved in things that only make us happy and pleasurable to be together? Or are we thinking about how we should operate so that we have time to build relationships with unbelievers, build friendships so that we can do our priestly duty of helping people be God-worshippers? You see how this works? All, so much of today, I didn't know it until I got into the text. It, it really is a companion to our whole vision of opening our homes that we can impact other homes. We have to see, are the, once we get our identity, we will be serious about this. We have to clear our lives in ways that makes it possible for people to get an idea of what life with God looks like through Jesus Christ. And so it's difficult. It's difficult to get there. I get it. But somehow we need to figure it out. So underneath everything wrong in my heart is the position of God. And it's the, difficult, the challenge in your life as well. Let's work it out. And finally, we are welcome to people. We are welcomed people. There's something glorious that happens in this chapter 24, right? It says, then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. They're idiots. I mean, really, if you've been with this study, how well do you think they've done up till now? They're nothing but whiners and complainers. And after all the wonders of God they saw, what do they say? Can we go back to Egypt? And they have the, they have the gall to say, okay, yeah, we'll do all that. You must be joking. It would be more appropriate for them to say, oh, we'll give it a look over. See, you know, we'll, we'll do a few of those, God. You know, that would have been more appropriate. But they have the audacity after their behavior to say, okay, yes, we're going to obey everything you said. And what does Moses do? He sprays them with blood. It says in verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That is really weird to us, isn't it? What if I come, you come to church, and you know, Luke and I go down the aisle, and we just start sp- sprinkling you, you with blood all over you. I mean, you run out the door. What, they have lost it. They finally lost it. You know? <laughs> Remember, this is, this is not... This is not a written uh, culture. It's, it's a verbal culture. It's an oral culture. And so we've studied before where sometimes a covenant was ratified and they'd take an animal, cut it in two, and then people would walk between the parts. It was a way to say, if I don't hold up my part of this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So this is what, hap- this, is what hap- this is what's happening when Moses sprinkles the blood. They are accepting responsibility. If 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 it doesn't, if if we don't do this, if we don't say what we did, then, send, then we're dead meat. That's finally what they're saying. And what does God do? He says to the leaders, come on up. Up to now, don't touch that mountain. Don't you dare. Now God says to the 70 elders, come on up. And so they go up, and an astonishing thing happens. They get to see God. Not his face. You can't look at God's face and live, the Bible says. But they look, and there he was. And for some reason, God had feet. I don't know how that happened, because God is spirit. He's not flesh and blood, but maybe God in his kindness and mercy gave himself feet for a time. It says here that under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. And then do you remember what it said they did next? They ate and drank. Talk about godly hospitality. There you have it. We know that in the Near East, even today, hospitality is one of the highest virtues, values. You travel there Diana, I've been there, and I tell you, people have nothing, nothing. They'll have a curtain between a, a room, separate. I remember this one home we were in. Remember that, Diana? And there was a curtain there, and they had nothing. It was like a cave, and they brought out those, you know those old-fashioned metal cups? You know, as a little boy. Maybe you're not old enough, but when I was little, they had these, these metal cups. I hated drinking from them. felt weird on your mouth, you know, and they had Kool-Aid. They served us Kool-Aid, weak Kool-Aid. Is probably all they had. What do you think has happened between God as the ultimate hospitable one and today in our culture where we're not so good at that? I don't think God ever meant for that great virtue to be lessened, even though we live in a Western modern society. I think it needs to be reestablished among God's people. That's why hospitality is a centerpiece, it's the core piece of our vision. Because how in the world could God ever, ever, ever deal with these people that have been such whiners and then hear them say, Yahweh, we'll obey, and then dare to invite them into his presence to be near him? Why? Because centuries later, the last thing Jesus did before he went to the cross was get another meal ready. And at that At that great supper, he held up a piece of bread, and this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. You never stop taking these to remember what I'm about to do for you. And that's why we do it this morning, because of the hospitality of God who has invited us to be near him and enjoy his presence. I hope you understand what I'm saying today. Today. If we jump, Luke jumps to chapter 20 next week, without 19, you're, we're dead. Because what will happen, we'll say, okay, I'm going I'm I'm to do this law. I'm going to obey this law because I want to get blessed. I'm going to obey this law because I want this answered prayer. I wanna, I'm going to obey this because I want God to love me. And you will grind yourself into dust living a faith like that. There's no good in it. you got to pass through chapter 19. And you got to hear the words of the Lord. Look, I've carried you on wings like eagles. Now, love my law. And we will, because we've been so treasured. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are... We are so slow to see and understand, to grasp. I so often, God, have been a legalist in my life. I thank you for rescuing me from a legalistic approach to religion and to faith. And Father, I've been guilty of abusing your grace as well. And I continue to ask your forgiveness and mercy on my life as I try to understand it and live it. I pray that on behalf of our church, Father, I so pray that we will become increasingly a radical community. Something that the places where we come from have never really seen before. By the spirit by which we live. By our generosity. By our love of the Father by our light that we're living, by the relationship of worship we have with you. I pray we will not shirk our responsibility to build relationships with the world who need a lifeline to you. I pray that we'll open our lives and our homes to those who just need to be exposed to an expression of the love of God. So thank you, Father, for inviting us to come near you, to eat with you, and to drink with you. And we will continue to do that today and every time we come together until we eat together around your banquet table forever and ever. In Jesus' name.